Welcome to About Your Mother, Where Your Story Begins. Our next guest is Olivia Joffrey. Olivia's eponymous fashion line serves as a love letter to her mother, Anne-Marie. Through osmosis, Olivia drank in the colorful, artistic life her mother led, one that was full of sensory details, records, books, sand, and the ocean air. Imagine putting on a dress and transporting yourself to a different time. That is what Olivia's clothes do, and the inspiration is her mother and Spain. In our episode, we discuss how her mother shaped her work, finding your passion, and the power of transcendent storytelling through various mediums. Enjoy. Olivia, welcome to the podcast about your mother. It's great to have you. It's lovely to be here. We, as we were preparing for this, like I said, you are the quintessential guest as your eponymous uh, fashion line is a love letter to your mom who lived a very colorful life. Since we like to start with a question or reflection on your mom, can you tell us about your mother and her adventures? Yes. So my mother was from the East Coast and from an Irish Catholic family and pretty conservative parochial school upbringing, sort of read her way through the the Brooklyn Children's Museum library into this really exotic life. She sort of read her way into both in a bohemian world. And so she ended up doing these things like she got a job in Manhattan, which led her to, because she read so much, hang out with all these Paris Review writers and go to the parties at George Plimpton's apartment. This was like all in the 50s. I think it was pretty much an uptown versus downtown Manhattan. But anyway, um, she fell in with these writers and that just sort of like led her to everything else interesting that happened to her in her life, which was like she read Kerouac and got on a bus and went across the country actually to get a divorce (laughs) (laughs) on this Greyhound bus and ended up in the San Francisco Bay Area and you know, the writers introduced her to other writers. And the next thing you know, it was the City Lights bookstore scene. It was a little bit of a Forrest Gump sort of life because the timing of her moves to interesting places was just shockingly on. Like she was in the Bay Area, the Beatnik era. And then those people led her to start, those writers led her to start um, an uh, expatting community in Spain when it was very cheap during the Franco regime to live in Europe. Whole Hemingway period in the earlier part of the century, they were there in the 60s when you could literally live in Andalusia for about $50 a week maybe or a month I mean I I I don't have all the (laughs) her financials but I do know that it was incredibly easy for a girl on a like my mom on a um, secretary's salary to make things work abroad for years on at a time wow how exciting but she was a stage actress so mostly she had a day job and then usually at a like as a secretary at an advertising agency or something. And then at night would work in the theater. She was one of the founders of a group called the San Francisco Mime Troupe, which did political theater in the parks. 
in San Francisco. She just led this really kind of free-spirited life and just toward the very end of it, by accident, had a baby. Oh, <laughs> and um, that was me. And then raised me in Santa Cruz. With your work, you can just feel the influence of her experience and how that's like transferred into you. It's really beautiful. So you have this eponymous fashion line and it's inspired. It's a love letter to your mom. Could you tell us about what inspired you to create this line in her honor? Mm, It's pretty precise. So when I was about 40, my mother developed a very advanced and, you know, sort of rapidly advancing case of Alzheimer's. And within a short period of time, I wasn't really able to speak with her anymore. And we had been very, very close because I was an only child and my father died when I was young. And so she was sort of like my sibling and my mother wrapped in one. And that was just really difficult. And I was trying to figure out a creative way to a, a catharsis to be with her still when she wasn't here anymore and I couldn't speak with her. So it feels like so much of her adventurous spirit was documented in pictures and, and words. How, what is that process for you when you decided to do this at 40? Such a bold leap to honor her. What was your process for putting this all together? Grown up with these pictures and I was obsessive about looking at them. Like I would open up these albums and two hours would pass and I would be like sucked into this old world that she had lived before she was sort of a stay-at-home mom. (laughs) Um, I think I just was able, because she told me all the stories sort of behind the pictures. So it wasn't too difficult to recall the, the actual stories than just bring them to life. Mm. But she was sort of, it was good luck because there was inside that expat writers community in Nerja, there was a professional photographer. So who happened to just take a lot of these gorgeous pictures. And then her best friend in New York during that whole period with the other writers um, in the early fifties, he was um, a photographer for the United Nations. So she was sort of in with these photographers who just happened to document this life. It was by circumstance rather than it was not designed and it wasn't a photo shoot. (laughs) You're right. But it feels like that, right? It's capturing these moments in time. We have that connection in a way because my mom grew up in, you know, in an orphanage and I was always haunted by the, not haunted isn't the right word, but I, she had the images around the house. And I remember as a kid, just getting sucked into them and wondering well, what was that like? And you were raised in that building without your parents. So it, yeah, I get that connection starts at a young age and it's so cool to see what you have done with it. Right. It's that discrepancy between the current mother, you know, and the old mother before she was your mother. There's this really seductive thing about that. There is, because there's this line of when they became your mom, and that's how you knew them, but there's this whole story before that I think as we get older and we mature, we get more and more curious. It makes me think, too, about having children older and, you know, later in life. She was 42 when she got accidentally pregnant (laughs) and ran with it in the 70s. And so I remember thinking, 
wow, my, I mean, I was embarrassed as a kid because my mom was so much older. And when I was very little, um, I felt, you know, out of place. But then as I got older, I started to see what a tremendous gift that was because she was this whole person, earned failures under her belt and yeah. just of life knowledge. She's, she was experienced. And that in the 70s, 42, that was a lot older. Yeah, that was geriatric <laughs> motherhood. <laughs> I wasn't going to say Nowadays, it. <laughs> it's very common. Well, my mom had me at 32, and that was considered old in 1974. Oh, yes. Eccentric. Eccentric, yes. <laughs> Different, right? So you have all of these pictures. You have your mom with this rich, full life, and then you start to lose her to Alzheimer's and, and mm-hmm. you decide that this is going to be the love letter to her. How do you build something without direct fashion experience? What was that like for you? Because you didn't have official training. You obviously are very creative and artistic at your core, but what was that like for you at 40 to say, I'm going to do something that I've never done before? It was intentionally an experiment and also I knew at the outset, and you're a music person, you'll understand this reference. I've always considered myself good in being naive. Like I feel like I'm a good naive artist and I'm better at being the Meg White to the Jack White than I don't want to be the, you know, I'm just not going to be Azadine Alaya. (laughs) I would rather be the person with a lot of soul who brings something original to the table. And these dresses are not complicated. Caftans are all I make. I don't, I once in a while, I'll throw in a pair of pants that go with them that have an elastic waistband and you wear them underneath the caftan, but they're really about grace and the kind of expat life my mom was leading in Spain in that time where it was, let's throw on your dress, go out and carpe diem, go to the market and do all these things and go to the beach in the middle of the day and you know, have your bathing suit on underneath, but really not be a studied fashion person. And that's really not what it's about. I I find that actually off-putting and I don't really like that whole fashion world per se. I like living and feeling good about myself. And that's how these women that I observe growing up were. And not just my mom, but these other women in the 70s in Santa Cruz who were just intrinsically stylish without trying. Yeah. I love it. And that's what you get from your brand. You can feel it. It's a, you can feel the books, the wine, the cotton dresses and the sea, like it's in the brand and it's in the clothes, which is cool because it isn't, as you said, as rigid as some fashion can be. It's a lifestyle. Yeah, it is totally a lifestyle. Yeah. And it's much easier to execute that lifestyle in California, <laughs> where True. I are, than all other places in the world. Like I lived for a while in Chicago and I was struggling in the winter. How do I do my like caftan thing in the winter here with my snow boots and my parka? <laughs> like, just this is a lot easier here to have your flip-flops. And How did your mother's style and spirit shape your childhood? Oh, I mean, it just permeated everything because we didn't have a lot of money. And I lived in this beach house right on the west side of Santa Cruz, which is very sort of 
blue collar meets academics from UCSC, lots of camper trucks with wet dogs and <laughs> and um, wetsuits in the back. And my other was very much a, a weird tension between East Coast good manners and sort of um, outrageous bohemianism. So like there would be, she would like table manners were so intense and I knew how to cut like a pork chop with like my fork and knife from the time I was like two. But then, you know, there was like framed nudes of people in the house and like I didn't, I wasn't, didn't bat an eyelash at that growing up, but her, her style to me was a really warm kind of style. It wasn't rigid. It was like big hug. And Mm. when people came to our house for dinner, that was when it was really fully on display. It was like the way she cooked and welcomed people in. And there was always an of really good homemade food and lots of wine and like music on the record player. It was very spheric, even though, I mean, I can't believe the kind of salary she raised me on, like a secretary's salary, basically. But she was just living life to the fullest, all sensory, beautiful things happening in your home, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. And her friends were like that too. Like her best friend was a cookbook writer um, and Sharon Cadwallader, who had like a column in the San Francisco Chronicle. And like, she was a legit kind of early food celebrity. And we would, she lived in this tiny little shack on the east side of Santa Cruz. And we would go over there and she would cook these insane Mexican dinners in a kitchen the size of a closet. It it just smelled like salon and, and you could hear the waves crashing. And she had this like big fluffy cat named mama kitty. And like, it was just very um, like memorable. It was a heady sort of childhood that way with all of this kind of sensory overload. Oh yeah. But it feels like you've gotten to this place where you're channeling it and you're just producing so many beautiful things because you took it all in and it's lived with you all these years. Yeah. I think it sort of haunted me. And when I was away from California, it really haunted me. Like I just missed California. Like you miss your lover. Like I just hurt because I missed it so much. And I remember my first child was born. I came back and took a walk on the cliffs, West Cliff Drive in Santa Cruz. And I saw ice plant again for the first time since it had been only like a year and a half for two years. And I literally started crying. I was like, <laughs> I missed you, ice plant. <laughs> Go in there Which for a kiss so, and a hug. Oh my God. So dumb. But I, but I think your landscape that you grow up with, especially if it's as beautiful as a place like Santa Cruz, it just becomes like a part of your body. I, I agree. And I, you know, I came from Seattle to California and I just fell in love with the Bay area and San Francisco. I was like, can people really live in a place so beautiful and Seattle beautiful, but this was like otherworldly. And it is, it's like a lover because I had a short stint in Chicago and I came running back when the winter came around. I was like, Oh no, no girl. Yes. (laughs) I'm not built for this. (laughs) Yeah. And Chicago has its own charm. It Um, does. And I know I have dear friends there who feel passionately about the Midwest and they feel the same way about the rolling fields of grain. And like, I'm like, where's the 
effing topography. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Why is it so flat? (laughs) It is incredibly flat. But I do love it. Some of the nicest people there. Uh, But I I do think, as you know, your adventures like yours and your mom's really shape your understanding and your conviction for what you love, right? And sometimes Mm. you have to leave something to come back and really know, yes, that's for me. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's the lesson. That's sure. the lesson. So tell me, how have your travels shaped your perspective and beliefs? I'm so poorly traveled compared to my mother. I mean, she was living all over the world, like Trinidad and Puerto Rico and Venezuela and Spain and stuff um, at a time when it was very cheap to do that. And she had a husband who was working for like Uh, advertising agencies as a specialist in Latin America. So that's why they traveled so much together. This was before she met my dad. I really have, I've only lived in Manhattan and London, San Francisco, Chicago, and now Santa Barbara. Wow. And Santa Barbara is my favorite of all the places I've lived, even though it's small and I'm a city person, but I just besotted with this place. Are you, that's, oh, I love to hear that. Well, it is pretty. Yeah. It's just a, it's just the climate, like the people. Um, it's like just the right time in my heart. Your posts, the way that you share and engage, um, the community with your brand is literary and there's no surprise there. Cause obviously you grew up where music and the beach and, um, books were super important. Can you tell us about that process for you writing copy? Because it feels like we're reading pages from a book on your social media and, mm-hmm. and on your website. Can you tell us about the process for, by which you tell the story? And I have a, one that I can read right now. This is a shorter one, if you don't mind. But yeah, I get so, um, for my listeners, follow Olivia and go to her Instagram. And I swear hours will go by because you're reading an adventure, a story, a narrative that's just, it's incredible. So one of them, a post, the thing was the books in her head that spilled from her lips like juicy velveteen peaches could make even the most stoic learned man want to shake her tree. (laughs) It's the sexiest thing. Like if someone doesn't read, there's just, it's just, they're not going to be sexy. (laughs) I agree. And we're losing that, I think, a little bit in the society. We need more of this. We need more reading and, yes. Oh, writing. yeah. We're, we're hungry for it. We need it. So does this just come out of you? Oddly, yes. I'm one of those crazy morning people that wakes up early. And when my creative juices are the most prolific, I'll make a coffee sometimes at like five o'clock and just and write a post and it'll be like 6.30 and I'll be like, I've wasted um, <laughs> an hour and a half of my tying this. Then it will connect with people and they'll feel something. And it, I feel like the commerce side of it is not as captivating to me as the storytelling and the um, making sense of this woman's life who she wasn't a published author. She was a reader. I guess readers should be celebrated too. And I agree. Yes. As the child of someone who read so much, I by osmosis learned so much just by what was on her bookshelf 
or herd collection or like it was just all very broad yeah you know from like Gregorian chant to like cream (laughs) to you know the stones and um like lots of Latin music and guitar and kind of describe it yeah she sounds like she is just genuinely curious about so many things yes a sponge and yes exactly it sounds like she instilled that in you because you just observed her taking in all of these beautiful things in life mm. I find that the most interesting person that you meet at the dinner party is the person who asks the questions it's usually the oldest woman in the room who has all of these beautiful stories in her head but will ask the most poignant questions and draw you out and those are the people that I'm kind of seduced by the most is the people with not without the ego or just more interested in other people and learning 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 playing 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 yes I agree those are my favorite people too. One of these people, I can tell. Well, I think it's having curiosity into how other people live is one of the greatest gifts because there's so many stories out there. I mean, just think about your, your mom and how she floated around the world, just taking it all in. And then that, Mm -hmm. and through osmosis was shared with you and her community. It's just beautiful. And now here you have this fashion line that tells her story in these ways Mm. with the clothes and the words and the visuals. It's truly beautiful. So then you're writing this incredible copy for your brand. Mm -hmm. And that leads into you writing copy for others. I know. Isn't it strange how these organic things happen? I feel like that's how all good invention happens is by accident. I just figured after a few years, people kept asking me to write their copy for them, just, you know, pitch in for little things here and there. And so I started this copywriting business on the side. It's called Surftown Think Tank. And it's just at my same studio where all the other art and um, fashion stuff happens, but it's really just a pleasure. It's something I would want to do. It's like making salad dressing for someone or like, <laughs> I don't know, like it's fun for me. That, well, I can tell. And, it, and it's the thing that you are told a lot in your life that if you live your passion, then everything that you need will come to you. I am just learning that. I'm 45 and I am just learning that. I just barked up the wrong tree for so long. Uh, but I'm not going to beat myself up about it. <laughs> I feel the same, Olivia. I do. I'm 46. Do you? Yes. Okay. And I feel like I jumped on all these lily pads that weren't the right ones, but intrinsically I knew what I wanted to do. It just took me a long time to believe that I could do it. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Yes. Like a strange confidence that came 40s that wasn't there and certainly wasn't there in my 20s was maybe a flicker of an idea in my 30s and then in my 40s I was like fuck yeah I'm gonna do this (laughs) I love that isn't that so true so what happens to us in our 40s because I wish we could put it in a pill and give it to you know the way my wayward self in my 20s and 30s where I was trying to figure out what to do like how do we 
articulate that belief Mm. that happens in our forties. I don't, Mm. do you have any thoughts on that? I do. And I think about this a lot because I have three little girls Mm. and I, um, Oh goodness, there's a book in on this topic is just the wasted energy women spend on the exterior when the interior is really where the beauty is and where all the power is and all the things that you want for yourself. And I think I just spent most of my 20 ring that I was five pounds overweight <laughs> and, um, you know, and like needed to go to more yoga. And then in my thirties was consumed in motherhood and nursing and like all the different things that happened to your body then. And when all of that was done, I was like, oh my God, I really like my mind and where my mind goes. And I wish that I could have channeled that earlier, but it happens when it happens can impart that to your kids though. And maybe they can hop on that train earlier. All the distractions that are thrown at women, like you said Mm. about the weight and the way you look and all of Mm. these things when it's really our mind and our heart that is the superpower. Oh, absolutely. Right. Hands down. Hands down. Yeah. And, and that's what brings you the most pleasure too. Yeah. It's just creative expression and just taking risks and all those things. Those are things you do with your mind. That's right. As you know, I'm obsessed with your posts and your writing and because you're so literary and so uh, it's magical really because the sensual details are just off the charts. And then even just listening to you can see where it came from. It's your mom. It's where you were. It was the environment that you were living in. One of my favorite posts is talking about the trials and tribulations of getting to the point where you're living your passion, like you're doing the work that you were meant to do. In in San Francisco, you had applied for a PhD program in architecture and didn't get in. (laughs) Mm -mm. And you know, you had me at Swenson's and Violent Femmes and all the little (laughs) things that you put in there. I'm, I'm your ideal reader, but talk about how those experiences, um, catapulted you to this place because we're just referencing that sometimes it takes us a while to believe that we can do the thing that's nearest to our heart. So Mm. what did you learn from these lessons where, you know, you did some of the job hopping, you didn't get into the PhD program? Um, That was a massive ego. I think I just, because um, I always had a lot of confidence in myself academically, it was like the first big no I'd received in an academic way. And I'd really built this thing up and I made friends with all the um, people in the minute Berkeley that I wanted to work with. And it just had been the singular focus. And when I got rejected from it, I think I took it as a, as a, a rejection of my work or like who I was, but really it was just an opening to something different. And I just didn't know, I didn't know that but it was information I needed to have. And I also remember, um, I think because my dad was a professor, I always romanticized that. And I thought it would be a cool line of work because you get to write for a living and you get to talk about ideas and powwow with people over a bottle of wine about like, you know, things that are just, I don't know, interesting. Um, and I thought that was me, but it just wasn't. The world kept telling me 
it's not your path. One of my, my advisors in grad school, the London School of Economics was telling me, he's like, you don't, so you don't want to be a professor. It's like, you want to be, you know, be like running an advertising agency. He's like, you should do something much sexier than be a professor. <laughs> You're like, okay. And, and I was like, I guess I, um, yeah, I saw that as a, um, maybe a clue, but didn't take the advice till later. Yeah, which happens. A college professor of mine told me, you know, keep writing. And so I, I attempted to right after school. And then I just got caught up in the got to make it, got to have a salary. Um, yes. The pressure of making it in our world, right? I, it, mm. it doesn't necessarily lend itself early on to being a creative. Do you feel the same? No. Oh, absolutely. I so drank that Kool-Aid. Yeah. My first job out of college, I somehow forgot I was creative and applied for a corporate job in Manhattan at an invest bank and did horrifically. Like I was probably the worst employee they'd ever had. I got fired within six months. That was what everyone was doing. Everyone in, in college was with these investment banks, consulting firms. And that was the hot thing. And I just was a lemming. I did what they did. And no one was whispering in my ear, follow your heart, do something that's fun, that yeah. feels right. It, it's so true. It, it kind of pushes us out of that creative realm and it's very easy to lose it. So are you living every day when you wake up at five, you have a cup of coffee and you're writing a post? <laughs> the studio that you have, you've got a fashion line, you have um, illustrations that you do. Tell us everything, mm-hmm. all the creative flow that is coming out of the studio in Santa Barbara. <laughs> it's a bit haphazard right now because it's getting, it's getting really diverse. It used to just be the fashion line. Occasionally I would make invitations for people's events in town and I would just get hired to be their illustrator. For example, yesterday I got a call at the last minute from an editor of a magazine being like, oh, can you just, can you just write up something that goes with this picture and can you hand letter it? And so in 30 minutes, I like hand lettered two different options for this thing I had written for her that she approved. And now it's going to be a poster and it's going to be in the magazine. It was like, that's a kind of beautiful thing that's starting to happen that wasn't happening before. I think just because of Instagram, honestly, like from just communicating through the clothing line that I like doing this other stuff. And I just don't give myself very many boundaries with the Instagram. I just play on it all the time. It's, I don't have a schedule. I just, I write stories that feel poignant to me or communicate a feeling. Mm-hmm. And then I illustrate random things a lot. There's a lot of joking that happens like about teasing, you know, making caftans and stuff, <laughs> you know, like Harry Potter. The last weird one was about Harry Potter and like Harry Potter versus caftan. It's just really absurd. Yeah. But you have total freedom with it, which I love that because now it's your brand. That was one of the questions I have for you because I admire your social media presence so much, like how does someone tap into this well of creativity in them and make a brand of it like on Instagram? I think you have to stop what other people think 
Mm. and knowing that you're always going to turn off some people, but do the thing that really feels right to you. Just be true to yourself. Own your voice. Yeah. There's so many different ways to say that, but it's hard to, it's like such a cliche. It's hard to communicate it um, freshly, (laughs) but it really is true that you will piss some people and I'm sure I do. I've lose all the time when I do something dumb, but I also feel like that is more important and people start to trust you and know that you're playful, but you can be serious, but um, you have good values. I mean, I'm, I'm not out there ever like putting people down or being um, rude. And I certainly condone that because that's happened to me a few times um, in the community of like, like I just had a feminist hater come on my feed and it, that sort of thing jars you and it makes you think, wow, this is, I guess I am in the public realm. <laughs> I'm meeting right. these wackadoodles. That's so sad, Olivia. It's sad that it's gotten to that because it's so easy to disengage if you don't like somebody, you just go somewhere else, right? It is. I think it's also a weird time in history and people are cooped up in their little houses and they're not able to see real human beings and get a hug and people are just uh, suffering. So I'm trying to see it from that perspective. I like that. (laughs) Compassionate of you. (laughs) People are cooped up and they are getting a little crazy, which your art must be helpful in that way, right? Because you're getting to create, even though we're all contained. Yes. Oh my God. It's such like my favorite thing right now I'm doing this blue orb and it's all the colors of the ocean and it's literally just page upon page of these circles and then underneath into the circles is a small vignette like a a verbal vignette of poem kind of line or two and it's so amazing because I guess basically I'm getting paid to listen to music and paint circles (laughs) all day and I'm I'm I couldn't be happier it's that's pleasure. I think you hit the jackpot. (laughs) (laughs) It was worth the wait, right? (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. Let's see. Hopefully I can keep it up. The thing that is really cool about your story is that it's growing on itself. It's so organic, right? You started somewhere and it's just building and building and building. And now it's this platform of creativity coming out of you. It's really, really cool. Your mom, you create this line as a love letter Mm -hmm. to her and Mm -hmm. then as you're losing her. Mm. Has this helped heal the pain that is Alzheimer's and losing a parent this way? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. There's no way to verbalize the slow of someone to Alzheimer's because they're still physically there. I mean, she's still sitting there in the vinyl chair at her assisted living place, but she is not there. Her spirit is somewhere else. Her intellect is somewhere else. And she looks at me blankly in the eye. Mm. And that is hard to wrap your head around. And I'm at this place now where I don't feel guilty about skipping visits to see her. I, I feel like it's almost more valuable that I write, spend time with her in my mind and in my creative work and tell my children about her. She has lots of people at her building who give her love and care. Mm -hmm. And it's really just almost too hard for me. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, 
it's just, yeah, because she was sort of like the one family member. Mm. Yeah, that's, it's a, it's a slow, painful process, but the, it gives me goosebumps to think of what you have done with her legacy. Um, Mm. and that the calling that you had to keep her spirit and her intellect alive in this way is so profound and beautiful. It really is. And that thank you. You're welcome. And that as people buy your clothes and they're walking around, her spirit is going out in the universe, right? As an extension of what you've created. And that I don't think there is a greater gift that a daughter can give their mother than what you've done for her, really. Mm-hmm. Well, we loved each other a lot. So the beautiful thing about that is that that never dies and um and it can live in the clothes and it can live in and it can live in these other things that carry her spirit yeah and we're learning from her I'm learning from her through you and and certainly I can tell you I'm gonna wear my dress and I'm gonna (laughs) I'm gonna celebrate the life that she lived which was as you said in, in her time really bold and and in some ways different having a child later and definitely um iconoclastic yeah you know she was not concerned with keeping up with the joneses and having a picket fence house in the suburbs like she was really doing things her own way and getting away from what i think she felt was a sort of confining conservative background Mm -hmm. and reading her way out of it it's truly all about books and she didn't go to college i mean she was high school educated and then just herself books for her entire life and I don't think I've ever met someone as well read as she was Faulkner and like James Joyce and really difficult literature that she just took on and was confident about thinking she could get some of um and understand and I think that in itself is sort of heroic She's a hero on so many levels, books, 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 which I feel like we're losing our grasp on the power of books and reading. You know, we're going to create a movement where (laughs) it doesn't turn out that way. So did she ever articulate to you, I'm just curious, that Mm -hmm. high school education, that she knew books were a way for her to expand her world? Did she ever directly articulate that to you? Yes. I think she felt like they were uh, a portal, And I remember her telling me her initial memory of these books that just really caught her imagination was this series of international children's books in um, the public library. And it was like the children of Armenia, the children of China, the children, and it was like these stories of what their lives were like. Um, She was probably about eight or nine reading these books. And she said she would go tuck herself into the the window seat at the library and just consume book after book after book in the series. And it gave her, that was her initial yen to travel was learning about how other children in other places were living their lives at the same time. This is like in the depression and Manhattan and, you know, the forties when they all had like holes in their shoes and ration cards and all that. That And it just was like 
oh my God, the world is a lot bigger than this little yeah. postage stamp I live in. And the, and the bug was set <laughs> and she ended up following it. Absolutely. So cool. Well, I am so appreciative of you sharing your story, your mom's story, really, truly just for living your passion and sharing your creativity with us in so many levels. It's just an honor to witness. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. I feel a kindred spiritness with our, um, what we've learned from our mothers, you and I. There is, like I said uh, to you early on when we met, I feel like I created the podcast for you. <laughs> so we might have, we, we might, it was a calling, but it's, it's so, like you said, it's so neat that our mothers have influenced us and inspired us for these projects of ours. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's what our, that's our Thanksgiving wish this year, right? Yes. <laughs> Thanks to our mamas. Thanks to our mamas. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Olivia. Thank you so much. Don't you just want to live alongside Olivia's mother, even for just a day? It is remarkable to me how Olivia absorbed such an ethereal life and when losing her mother to Alzheimer's, created a magical love letter to her mother and her eponymous brand. What an incredible tribute. In partnership with About Your Mother, Olivia has created a special edition illustration inspired by the themes in our conversation. Also, for the holidays, there is no better gift than a caftan that transports someone into the California dream where the ocean waves crash, vinyl plays, while books and wine surround you and your companions. Thank you, Olivia, for living your passion and sharing it with all of us. Stay curious and be well. Until next time.